0: Tonight is the last of our series in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of God or wisdom, the gift of God. And it's been a a fantastic journey for me. I love the book of Proverbs. It's one of my top three books in the Bible, Romans. Gospel of John, Book of Proverbs, and I've, I've just loved this series. My plan, there's so much more we haven't touched on, and even each one of these messages could have part two, three, four. I mean, you know, even tonight, we're going to touch on something, and we're just going to touch on it. There's no way we could explore the depth of all of these topics and issues that we've touched. So hopefully in 2019, we could visit Proverbs again, maybe for at least a month, and, and do maybe family, children, marriage, uh, all kinds of other stuff's. In Proverbs, money, you know, all kinds of stuff that we just didn't have time to get to. Uh, but for tonight, we're gonna talk about wisdom for addictions, idols, and functional saviors. Wisdom for addictions, idols, and functional saviors. I wanna give three prefaces to this message because it's gonna seem at times to some of you like I'm aiming this at you. I'm not. Okay, so, so the first preface is, I'm not aiming this at anyone in particular. What happens often when I preach a message, people come up to me and be like, you were talking about me and to me, and, and yes and no. I was aiming it at a broad, all of you, but sometimes these messages hit precisely, you could think of it as when you shoot a shotgun, it shoots a wide range, but when you shoot a sniper rifle, it hits a target precisely. I'm not shooting a sniper rifle at any of you tonight, okay? So, please, if, if, if it sounds like I'm preaching to you, I am not, all right? Eugene, I'm not, bro. Don't look at me like that. Number two, preface. I have been on the destructive side of addictions experientially. Many of you know my story. Some of you don't. I was the kid who grew up in youth group, born that week into the church. I was in worship gatherings the first week of my life, grew up in the church, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday youth club, any special event, I was in the church. My dad was an elder. My mother was a youth leader. I was in the church. I was a church kid. Well, when I turned about 11, 12, I decided Jesus is lame. Christians are lame. My parents are lame. My pastor is lame. And if God uh, gets me, I guess I'll go to hell. And I ran away from God and went towards drugs, alcohol, and all manner of darkness. And I traveled down that road, and as I went through one door, there was another door, and I went through that door. And when I got into that door, there was another door, and I just kept going through doors of darkness until one day I was in uh, tech school. I was doing graphic design, and two narcotics detectives showed up in my school, and the security guard came to me, and he said, hey, man, there's two narcotics detectives in the office. They're looking for you. If you have anything on you, you need to get rid of it now. This security guard was my friend. And so I did. I had a bag on me. I was intending to sell it and smoke it. And so I took it and I gave it to a friend. I gave him my pipe, but I kept a little bit on me just in case I was able to elude uh, the officers, which I had done many times in the past. I could tell you many places to hide things on your body that they will not find, but I won't do that because I want you to get caught. I want you to get caught. I'm not going to give you any secrets. So I show up in the office. I get arrested. The, 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 the police had not only found me there, but had already broke in my house, if that's possible, for police to break in your house. Went up to my room with a search warrant, tore the thing apart, took the drugs, took the money, uh, and, and came and cuffed me. And next thing you know, I was in Schumann Center because I was only 17 years old. That's a long part, portion of my life crunched down into a minute. What resulted from that was I had to as court ordered, go to AA meetings every single day. And I had to go to gateway rehab for like large chunks of of time during the day. And I was on uh, a non-ankle-braceleted house arrest, which meant if we call, if my PO called, and I wasn't there, I was getting collected and I was going off for at least a year to a Braxis house. That was the threat. So I, being the wicked sinner I was, I made sure I snuck out at like 3 a.m., which I did, to meet my girlfriend, now wife, sitting in the second row there. And we were mischievous and sinners, but yet I did it slickly, and I didn't get caught, and, and I was not a Christian, okay? And that's, that, was, that was my lifestyle. So, I understand the rooms. I was in the N A N A rooms many, many times, and I know the language. I know the code. I know the, the mile markers. I understand the big book. I get getting a sponsor, okay? So, if I'm aiming at you. I'm not aiming at you. I've lived this life, okay? I'm I'm, I'm coming at this from the inside, and my first ministry opportunity was to addicts. Addicts were my people and still are my people. I know them well. I understand the way they think. I was one of them, but I was washed. I was cleansed. I was pulled out of darkness, and now I'm in light. I've been freed. That can happen for you, that can happen for your friends, that can happen for your family members, that can happen for your coworkers. How do you know, Chris? It happened to me. It happened to me. I'm an insider. Number three, please listen carefully, because much of society's ills, what, what is popularly called social justice issues right now, find a lot of their roots, and I mean deep down roots, in addiction. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Okay, give me one example. All right, the sex trafficking industry. If people were not addicted to pornography, there would be no industry. There would be no demand for little girls to get captured and taken into a wicked industry that is profiting by the billions. Need I say more? A lot of the issues that we look at and say that is socially unjust have their roots in addiction. What about the foster care system? Do you know how many addicted mothers and fathers lose their children and children get sucked into a system? Do you know how many people get busted selling drugs because they are fueling addicts and they are also addicts to what that selling brings and then they end up in the prison systems? Do I need to go on and on? Almost all, not all, but almost all of our quote-unquote social justice problems have their roots in addiction. This is a massive issue, friends. And, and for me to try to do justice to it in one message is just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But we can touch on it, okay? So let's touch on it. I, let's, let's just do an exercise. I want you to w- watch. If you have someone in your family or extended family, or you yourself were an addict, put your hand up. Look around. Every person in this room has their hand up. You see, this is an issue that touches all of us, all of us. And one of the things that we have put forward as a church that we want to see happen in the future, and what we need is workers and leaders, if we can get some workers and leaders, we can do this. We want to have a thriving addictions ministry. We've already got the curriculum, we've got the training, we've got the money to put people through the training, we could fly you to a place, and we want to set you up, but people maybe don't want to do the sacrifice it takes to do that kind of ministry, maybe we don't have enough time, I don't know what it is yet, but I want us to pray forward and look forward to a ministry like that in the future. It's a massive need, not only here in Wilkinsburg, but in Fox Chapel, in Murraysville. Trust me, it is an epidemic all right, enough introduction. Let's talk very quickly in three categories of addiction, idols, and functional saviors. Number one, pictures of the promise of addictions, idols, and functional saviors. Number two, where are these promises aimed at or where do they take root? Number three, how do we get free? Let's do number one pictures and the promise of addiction, idols, and functional Savior. Now this text here, Proverbs 9, 13 to 18, comes on the heels of 12 all the way up to verse 1. And what's happening in Proverbs 9, 1 to 12, is this. Lady wisdom, wisdom is personified as a woman. And she's saying, come to me. I have created this environment of wisdom. I have slaughtered delicious beasts for your consumption. I want you to come and join me and become wise. And the invitation is all you who are simple, come in here and gain a heart of wisdom. Wide open doors, wide open arms, Lady Wisdom says, come to me and become wise. Lady Folly here is the contrast of Lady Wisdom. So we're not hating on women here, This is the way Proverbs 9 is set up. We can either come to lady wisdom and gain a heart of wisdom, which is rooted in the fear of the Lord, or we can go to lady folly. Let's read about lady folly. The woman folly is loud. Now, now this is not a specific woman. This is a personified call of addictions, idols, functional saviors. Woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Again, this is not a real woman. This is a woman who is seductive. She's seducing people like the sirens in Greek mythology, calling to the sailors, luring them in with beautiful promises. I will save you. I will save you. Come to me. Yet she knows nothing. She is wisdomless. She sits at the door of her house. This is in contrast to Lady Wisdom sitting at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. In other words, she exalts herself. She puts herself at the highest places. Calling to those who pass by, passerbys, normal everyday people who were going straight on their way. Straight on their way. Listen, when you're on the straight and narrow path in the Bible, that means you're headed towards God, you're headed towards light, you're headed towards health. When you take to the right or to the left off of the narrow road, the broad way of destruction... This is what is being called to. People are going straight on their way and people are being called off of the straight and narrow. And what's the call? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Turn from the straight path in to my dwelling, into my arms, into my promises. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Now the Hebrew here for water is it's sexual okay it it has a sexual connotation so this is woman folly she's seductive and she's calling in a seductive way to take stolen sensuality which means adultery she is someone's and she is going to give herself but it will be stolen if someone takes it and bread eaten in secret is pleasant so there is this side of addiction We do it in secret. I just saw a dumb commercial for like, I don't even know, I'm gonna get it wrong, Nabisco Little Crackers, and it was a lunchroom and someone was open on their laptop and they show the laptop from this view and a guy behind it, and someone walks into the lunchroom, it's a woman, and she goes, oh, and she like turns her face from the laptop, and then they show the laptop and they show him eating a a cracker, and it's something about a naked cracker, like it doesn't have preservatives and it doesn't have, but that's the idea. It's like you wouldn't do that in public, and if you did, people would be like, what are you doing? You know, it's so shameful to do addictive things in public that it's considered shameful, especially this promise of illicit sensuality. We'll say that for the little ears among us. But, and this is the picture I want you to get, verse 18, okay? This is addiction's call to you, but this is what's really going on. Look, but he does not know that the dead are there the dead, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, or the grave. In other words, her house that she's calling people to is full of dead people. She destroys her victims. She has a slaughterhouse, friends. Ed Welch, who is a a theologian and biblical counselor and author, he has a book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, rooted in this verse 18 here. So you can imagine you going to feed on your addiction as you're going to eat with the dead. And you say, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, the wages of sin is death. And and literally, sin is out to kill you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. There is no neutrality. If you're not actively killing it, it is actively killing you. And all we need to do is look at the addictive things out there and the people that are addicted. And we know that death is occurring, maybe slowly, but death is occurring. Is it not? It is occurring. So this is a picture of a banquet. The promise is there's feasting here. There is pleasure here. There is joy here. There is fulfillment here. There is death here. The dead are there. And, and get, get the ugly image in your mind, because that's what happens. I mean, we've all seen crack houses in movies, haven't we? Proverbs 30, 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done nothing wrong. And Vince touched on this passage when he preached Proverbs 30. The idea is there is uh, an attitude towards adultery, especially woman folly, who just, I eat, I wipe my mouth, you can't tell me I've done anything wrong. And that's kind of the attitude. It's like, I've done nothing wrong. Who are you to tell me anything? As if it's not beautiful and sacred and covenantal and glory that you just trampled on. Just eat, wipe your mouth, throw the napkin away. I've done nothing wrong. Proverbs 19, 20 to 21, hear my son and be wise, direct your heart in the way, the way of wisdom, fear of the Lord, taking his word as weighty in your life, walking in his ways. Be not among the drunkards, literally, you could translate that, those who drink too much wine. The Bible's not against wine, wine actually gladdens the heart, okay, but it is possible to drink too much wine and now we've crossed the gladdening of the heart to drunkenness. And drunkenness practiced over and over makes somebody a what? A drunkard. A drunkard. Or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. So now food can be an addiction. And we all know this. There's always that lure to take a little more, to have another one. It's it's appetizing, right? It looks so good. You're so full, but you're like, oh, it's available and I could have it. It's that going to the buffet and paying for it so you feel like you got to get another plate even if you feel sick. That's what gluttony is. It's like it's not eating and enjoying good food. Paul tells us uh, in 1 Timothy that God gives these good gifts to be enjoyed and to be sanctified with prayer and thanksgiving. But rather, this is I'm going to get all I can and try to fulfill something that's not fulfilled within me. And it does offer a, a short term. Joy, a dopamine rush, but it doesn't fulfill. It never doesn't. So you always need more. You always need more. You always need more. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Okay, so now we're seeing the end of somebody who's a drunkard, the end of somebody who is a a glutton. Slumber, because how many of you after Thanksgiving just want to take a nap? I know I do. Now, I'm not hating on Thanksgiving. I love it, but I I know what that means. And if we continue in this path, if we practice these things, we will come to poverty. Slumber will clothe them with rags. Now listen, these are just pictures. Remember, we're looking at pictures and the promises of addiction, idols, and functional savers. We're just looking at pictures here. These These are snapshots of what it looks like in the book of Proverbs. Wine, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by them, or it, is not wise. Could translate that, will not become wise. Now, you know, just, just to be honest, I used to be the guy who would take, you know, that much liquor in the bottle and just hit it and watch the bubbles and just take it down. That was me. That, I did not enjoy alcohol properly. I got it to get drunk, and that was my only purpose, and if I could have just one, I was kind of upset. See, that's not enjoying alcohol properly, okay, and and if you have one or two, and then it propels you to six, eight, ten, twelve, you can't enjoy alcohol at all, like just no, I shall not, and we'll get there in a moment, but for me, I was the hard liquor guy. And a good night for me was, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, throwing up because I drank too much. It was like, okay, I, I accomplished my goal tonight. I'm not kidding. And so I understand what it means that strong drink is a brawler. I've seen my good friends, just who were friends, add the alcohol, and now it's fist fight time. It's wrestle time. It's end up in the muddy puddle, and now we're laughing because your, your new clothes are all covered in mud, and you just got slammed by, by homie Jake over here. Okay. I've been in situations where there's outsiders, not from our little group, and alcohol's involved, and all of a sudden now we're t- attacking them and taking their jewelry. I've been there. Okay. I know what that's like, and I know that we probably wouldn't have done it otherwise. Strong drink is a brawler. Now, now, now how many of you, I, I, I'm not going to ask for hands here, because okay, I don't know whose hand will go up. How many of you know don't put your hand up, that man, you get really tough and you get really self-confident when you've had a couple rum and Cokes or a couple shots of vodka on the rocks, sky vodka to be particular, And right? All of a sudden you feel really confident and that big dude over there who weighs 350 and you can tell he can bench 450, all of a sudden you're like, I could probably take him. Oh, I could definitely take him. And so you start looking at them sour, right? Strong drink is a brawler. You start to get these, don't don't we say beer muscles? Like, shut up. That's your beer muscles talking. Sit down, right? This is what happens. Whoever is led astray by it, the strong drink, listen, is not wise. So please, it's not wise, At at minimum, this is folly. This is foolishness. At worst, it's death. How many times do we need to see drunk driving statistics before we understand that the wages of sin is death? Listen, I understand what it's like experientially to be like, I can drive. And praise God, He kept me from killing one of you because I did it more times than I'd like to admit. Way more times than I'd like to admit. And you feel like you're okay until all of a sudden the rumble strips are a normal thing on your ride home. Oh, Oh. maybe I'm not okay. I know what it's like to, and this is the the coaching, this is the the discipleship that happens in circles of addiction. Listen, man, you can drive. You just got to stare at the headlights right in front of you. Don't take your eyes off them. You'll be all right. We got to go home. All right. Foolishness, and I've lived it, friends foolishness. God's mercy has kept me alive. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. We're still just looking at snapshots and pictures. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? None of those are positive things. Who has wounds without cause? How did that get there? Why is my wrist broken? Now you're at MedExpress. What happened last night? Bro, why do you have a black eye? You punched me last night. I don't even remember punching you. Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. I love that old word, tarry long. We've tarried long in this place. The the idea is you are taking way too much time over that bottle. Like, I'm all for milk and a beer, right? Like, if you can make a beer last an hour, praise God. That's like Christian drinking. (laughs) But if you can make that beer last 30 seconds and all of a sudden you got a new one, that's a problem. You tarry long over whatever the substance is. You can't enjoy it rightly, so probably you shouldn't enjoy it at all. Those who go go to try mixed wine... Okay? So who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Let's, let's mix up some drinks here. Let's, do not look at wine when it's red. Now, this is insight. This is the lust of your eyes. This is one of the three main devilish, satanic devices, methods, schemes The lust of the eyes. Eve saw the fruit, that it was good and pleasing to the eye. She took it, ate, and gave some to her husband who was with her. Look at this. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. It's promising you through the eye gate what it will not deliver. It will not deliver what it's promising you. Happiness, fulfillment, joy, an end to your troubles. No, it will increase your troubles. In the end, in the end, not in the middle, not in the beginning, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, a poisonous snake. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Did you know, I learned this from a sleep scientist, that when somebody is a, a, a continuous alcoholic and they drink, we're, we're talking breakfast bar attenders, okay? Those kind of people, they suppress their REM sleep and they cannot get it because when you drink alcohol, Like that, your body cannot go into REM sleep. And did you know that when you come off of alcohol and you're detoxing, you start to get visuals? You know what that is? That's your brain taking the REM sleep back, and and it's literally dreaming when you're awake because you've been starving for it for so long. But so many people, they're like, "I, I can't go to sleep without taking some drink. Meanwhile, it's actually doing the opposite of what they want. They think it will make them restful. Give me the nightcap. No, it will not. It actually suppresses the sleep you need. And then when you go into detox, you don't have the alcohol, and your brain, though you're consciously awake, is taking the dream sleep while you're awake. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Matthew Walker is the sleep scientist. You can look him up and read it for yourself. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. How many people have said absolutely horrible things when they were drunk that they would never say when they were sober or high on something? And some of those things, friends, can never be taken back. Now, there's redemption with God. I don't want to leave us in the pit. But listen, these things are promised us in the Word. This is God's Word to you. This is help for you. Your heart will utter perverse things, you start to talk crazy, you start to talk darkness, you start to talk foulness, you start to talk all kinds of ugly, sinful things when you've had a few drinks and a few more and a few more. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. What does that mean? Anyone ever been in the ocean on a boat? I have. Anyone ever get sick from it? Yeah, you're like, it's like walk the straight line. While touching your nose, and you're like, you look, you look like you're on the on the seas. It, it messes you up, it impairs you. You will look like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. That's the top part of the boat. Like that's the waviest, rockiest part. You're just you're not stable. I love these pictures. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. <laughs> you get punched in the face, you're like, that's all you got. Meanwhile, there's blood pouring out of your mouth. Your tooth's over there. You're like, give me another shot. But I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Right? This is waking up in the morning. You feel so terrible, and you're like, I need to get some more in me. I feel like I'm going to die. Okay? All right. Let's move on now. So those are just pictures, okay? Now, now heroin was not a thing in the ancient world. Now, opium probably was, but we could translate all of the narcotic drugs, the pills, the heroin, the, the crack cocaine, the cocaine, all of the stuff. We could just put it into those strong drink categories, okay? Because it does the same thing. Some of them with way more damaging consequences, but I think it's all included in there. Okay, now we're going to look at number two quickly, and the, the, the rest of these are going to fly. Where are these promises aimed at, or where do they take root? So these promises, these lying, I'm going to save you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to pull you out of your pit, I'm going to give you what you need, these lying promises that people buy into when they use, where are they aimed at? Where does addiction speak to you? Where is it rooted? When it tempts you, where inside of you is the temptation rooted? Let's ask that question. James helps us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. It's not God. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. It's your desires. David Pallison tells us that in the Old Testament, when we see idolatry and idols, the New Testament word is desires. Same thing. So when you see desires... In a negative context in the Bible, you're looking at Old Testament idolatry. Your desires are ruling you, and they're promising salvation, and you go after your desires hoping to be saved, and yet they never save you, do they? They never save. They always promise they never save. Then desire, when it has conceived, that means you give in to the desire, now there's conception, gives birth to sin. Now all of a sudden we're in sin's clutches. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death the wages of sin is death now we like to go ultimate with these kind of passages so we're like yeah man people die in crashes and they overdose and that stuff does happen but what about death of family what about death of marriages what about children who will never talk to their parents again for the way they were treated because of addictions what about households that get ripped apart what about employees that get fired because they couldn't pass uh, the, the alcohol test in the morning what about that kind of death What about the wounds you carry right now because of run amok desires that couldn't be controlled that you received the brunt end of, the outworking, the death of, okay? And listen, we're doing the same thing if it's us and we're affecting people. This is not the kind of thing that just affects you. Hey, it's just me. I'm only hurting me. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're causing death to multiple people, right? You you throw a rock in a glass pond and it hits and there's this ripple and it it ripples out in a circular motion and it affects everything beyond it. That's you when you're addicted. You are affecting all kinds of people, Now listen, I'm gonna pull you out of the pit here in a minute, but you need to be at least dangled over it for a minute and look down and see the hell that is addictions, we need to see it. When it gives uh, <clears throat> fully grown, it brings forth death. All right. David Pallison is a, a, not only an author, but he is a biblical counselor and a, and a theologian. He's a trained psychologist, gone Christian. I mean, this guy is brilliant. He's been called the Yoda of biblical counseling, and I agree with that. Okay? This is helpful. David Pallison says, the desires that mislead us are self-deceiving. You deceive yourself. It's you fooling yourself. It's your desires. You've tricked yourself because we are so plausible to ourselves. Paul Tripp says, no one talks to you more than you do. No one is more influential in your life than you are. That's the truth. Because no one talks to you more than you do. Your self-talk is killing you. Here's the questions we need to be able to ask when addiction confronts us, when we're giving in. What do I want? What am I actually after here? What do I fear that's causing me to go here? What do I need that's causing me to go here? And what do I expect that didn't happen, my expectations that didn't come to fruition, that is causing me to go here? These are four simple questions that go right to the heart and will give you tremendous insight into the roots of your desires. What do I want? What do I fear? What do I need? And what do I expect? Or what expectations in my life are not being met? I wanted this to happen. It's not happening. I need saved. Here's David again. What are you seeking? What are you loving? What are you fearing? What are you trusting? What are you, or I'm sorry, where are you taking refuge? Where are you finding shelter? What voices are you listening to? What are you setting? Where are you setting your hopes? These are, these are really self-diagnostic helpful questions. Our answer to these questions describe the seedbed of our sins. Do you hear that? Our answers to these questions describe the seedbed of our sins, how we curve in on ourselves and go blind to God and his will. In other words, God, I've had enough of you right now. I've had enough of your will. I've had enough of your way. I'm going my own way. And what you've done is you've shut out God and you've curved in on you and you've given in to your desires. But these questions will help you. They'll help you. Okay, David Pallison is great. He's written a massive amount on addictions. Ed Welch, too, has written a massive amount on addictions. If this is speaking to you, I highly encourage you to do some Googling and read their stuff. Listen to their messages. Now, three, how do we get free? Let's go quick. Mike Wilkerson wrote a book called Redemption. And uh, I don't want you reading it until I read it. So I, I move back. Mike Wilkerson, who is a a biblical counselor, he runs what are called redemption groups. It's a whole system for addicts of all stripes, all kinds of addicts. And he wrote a book called Redemption. I highly recommend it. It goes through the story of Exodus, and it shows how we're all addicts in some way, shape, or form. Like, if you're not addicted to substances, and you're like, all right, this doesn't apply to me, what about the praise of man? You living for other people's approval? Are you addicted to comfort? Are you addicted to security? Are you addicted to power? Are you addicted to pleasure? We're all addicts in some way, shape, or form. Let's not fool ourselves, okay? And we should never elevate ourselves self-righteously and look down on those who are, are the most addicted, ever. Rather, we should say, I am more like you than unlike you. That's what we should say, because we're all addicts in some way, shape, or form. Do I even need to talk about video games, my young people? I mean, how many hours in the past three days? How many? You don't go there, don't go there. All right, all right, I won't. To be human is to worship. Here's our problem, friends. It's a worship problem. We have a worship problem problem. We were made for it. Mike Wilkerson helps us. You ready? To be human is to worship. We reflect God's glory by our worship of him, which means to hold him as the object of our deepest desires. There it is. And as worthy of our imitation, specifically in Christ. Worship is not just singing songs in church. It's how we live our lives every moment of every day, every thought word, deed, feeling, and desire. This is worship. If you have a reductionistic view of worship, like, yeah, man, that, that three songs on Sunday night, that was awesome worship. Man, that is too reductionistic. You, you have taken worship and made it something it's not. It's all of life. It's every thought, word, deed, feeling, and desire. It's all worship. And you can't help it, as we'll see in a moment. You worship what you live for, whatever is most worthy of your attention and devotion. It is what drives you at the core, and it flows from the essence of who you are. You can't turn off worship. That goes for non-Christians too. Listen, if we were made worshiping beings, you can't not worship. That is insightful. That gives Crazy insight into idols and addiction and functional saviors. Now listen to this. It is like a garden hose stuck on full blast. You can aim it at the grass, the car, or the shrubs, but you can't stop its flow. That's a beautiful picture of worship. It's a garden hose stuck on full blast. You can't turn it off. It's just, what are you going to aim it at? We want to aim it at God. We want to aim it at God. Or you might imagine yourself as a sort of human billboard, always advertising what you find to be important, valuable, worthy. What you pay attention to, how you spend your time, the way you work, how you relate to others in your life, all these things broadcast your heart's worship, making visible and advertising what is most important to you. God created you to broadcast him. See, we were made to worship, and because we won't worship, we worship functional, false gods, functional saviors. Like, for some of us, it's kids. We worship children, and they're terrible gods. Some of us put the weight of God on a spouse, and they can't handle that weight. They were never made to be worshiped. I was taken to a David Crowder concert by a friend who's not here tonight sat in like the front row. It was pretty sweet. Like we could be spit on by Dave Crowder. Now I'm not that kind of fan, but we were that close, okay? Afterward, we had like the VIP thing, and we went into the back room, and it was full of people, and Dave's a weird dude, so he had like, you know, camping chairs and like, you know, stuffed animal deer heads with antlers and like, you know, ho-hos and nachos. It was very strange, it was very strange, okay? but, but it was like these are all the things Dave loves, you know, like Twinkies and ho-hos and campfires, and it was interesting. Okay. Well, the drummer for a very famous band was there. I believe it was Skillet. And and he was having a conversation with me. And um, and, and I may get that wrong. I'm sorry if that band is the wrong band. But anyway, he was telling me that he quit this band and started touring uh, with Dave because he couldn't handle the crowds worshiping him. He said, man, people like Justin Bieber and, and like Christina Angler and these people, he's like, they're actually being worshiped, and that kind of weight can't be put on a human soul. I feel terrible for them. He's like, I couldn't handle it. I had to, I had to get out. And and this is a picture of it. Even Christians do it. So we're sitting in, in, in the front row, two guys behind me. There's a pause in the thing, and David Crowder says something to the effect of, don't tell your pastor I said this. It was, he was making a joke. And the guy behind me was like, Dave, you're our pastor. And under his breath, I was close enough to hear it. He's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And, 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 and the truth is, theologically, Dave is not their pastor. But yet some people attach themselves to a famous figure, and it's like, and, and this dude looked just like him. I thought it was him in the room. We went into like the VIP room ahead of time. He had a beard just like him. He dressed like him. He had the hat. He had the clothes. I was like, it's Dave. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's not Dave. That's knave. <laughs> but, but see, this is what we do. We, we have to worship. We have to worship. And sometimes it's aimed at famous singers, musicians. And, and we could go on and on and on here, but but we don't have time. So, how do we get out? Titus 2, 11 to 14. This is my personal, this has helped me out of so many addictions, I can't even begin to describe them all. This has been powerful and effective in my life. Therefore, I know that God can use this to help you. So Paul, speaking to Titus, who is the pastor of the church at Crete, he says this, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Who's that, and what is that? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is the unearned, undeserved favor of God that we need. We need him as a substitute. He needs to take our place. He was the only one that worshiped properly. He is the ultimate worshiper whose fire hose, if you will, was always aimed at God in our place. And he went to the cross for our worship of idols, for our addiction, for our going after functional saviors. The grace of God has appeared getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve his perfect life of worship in our place, yet we have it. This is grace. This is grace. Bringing salvation to all people. That doesn't mean all people will be saved. What that means is there's all kinds of people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every realm of society, all people have a door to salvation, All people, all ethnicities, all societal levels have a wide open door to salvation. Now listen what happens to us. Training us, training us to renounce ungodliness. The NIV says to say no, no to ungodliness. Addictions, idols, functional saviors. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, and the good news has appeared for what? To give you the power to say no. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not getting on that 80s just say no. It's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about gospel-fueled, Jesus in my place. He's worshiped in my place, and now that I have a Savior, I have a helper, I have him, I can now, with his help, say no to ungodliness. Not to earn his favor, but because I already have it. I already have his grace. I already have the favor. I already have the power. I already have the freedom to say no, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, desires. Worldly passions, desires, idols. And to live what? self control Self-controlled. You see, the opposite of addiction is what? Self-control. I can control my desires. My desires don't rule me. By the help of the Holy Spirit, I rule my desires. That's it. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Say it. Self-control. Not fire hose to my desires, worship of everything and anything, looking for gratification gratification. No, self-controlled. What does that look like? Upright, godly lives. When? Now, in the present age. You see that? This verse from Paul to Titus, by extension to God's people, is saying, you have the ability and the power through the gospel by the Holy Spirit to live self controlled, godly, upright lives. When? Now in the present age, right now. I know it. I've experienced it. And I know that it wasn't me who did it by my power, by my strength, by my wisdom, and by my might. I got none of it. It was God moving upon me. And listen, to live now in this present age. And so, for some of you tonight, you need to say, I'm done. This is enough. My foot is going down. I am Christ. He is mine. I have his Holy Spirit. The line's in the sand. Waiting. So what do we do while we, while we wait to, for our full salvation? Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now that sounds very theological and like high, but listen, John tells us, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, now in regards to what we just read, that means when, we, when this happens, the blessed hope Happy, blessed, hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. When that happens, friends, the worship hose will always go the right way, forever. And He's the source of all pleasure and joy. And my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, when we see Him, we're finally free. For now, we have to wrestle, and we have to fight, and we have to war, and we have to plead for the Holy Spirit to take control. Verse 14, who gave himself for us, for us, his people, to redeem us from all lawlessness. Do you see that? There's a reason or a an effect on us when we become Christians. We get saved from lawlessness. That means not walking in God's way and God's will. And to what? Purify for himself a people for his own possession. See, God's on a mission to redeem and purify a people, a pure people that are walking by his strength, walking in his way, blessing those who come in contact with him, not because they're so great, but because our God is so great. And he's working in us and through us. When people see Christians, they see Christ. Listen, friends, the church is the greatest apologetic the world has. And sadly, some of us are doing terrible apologetics. Because we're living like we belong to hell. But see, we get cleansed from lawlessness to purity for himself, and he's doing this to get a people for his own possession who are what? Zealous. Zealous for good works. You know what that means? You're fired up about doing good in the world. Zealous. That means this gets you up in the morning. This fuels you. It's a passion. Your desires have changed. Did I get taller or did the thing shrink? (laughs) That's weird, man. I feel like I'm Alice in Wonderland, like, whoa. Back on the mushrooms, dude. That was kind of cool, actually. All right. Whew. All right, we got a, a tiny bit of time left. We're done here, okay? This is the last one, I promise. Verse 11 of Romans 13. You realize the great church father, Augustine, who wrote the confessions. I, I highly recommend the confessions if you've not read them, okay? Northern Africa, Bishop, fantastic theologian, Calvin and Luther have their roots in Augustine. Augustine is quoted by Calvin more than anyone else. Where did Calvin get his thought? Where do the Presbyterians have their roots? Where does the Reformation have its roots? Augustine. Augustine encountered this verse here, verse 14 of Romans 13, and it radically changed him. If you read the confessions, the story is phenomenal. He's, he can't break free of his sex addiction. He's literally locked up, holding his knees like this. This is the way he describes it, and he's rocking back and forth, weeping under a tree because he can't break free from his addiction, And he hears in the distance a child or children saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he straightens up and he thinks to himself, is there a game that children play? that have this phrase, take up and read? And he thought, no. And his immediate thought was, this must be God telling me to go, take the Bible, open it up to the first thing that comes to, to open, put my finger on it, and whatever it says, I should do. He does it. He lands on Romans 13, 14, and it actually worked for him. And he was born again. It helped Augustine. It can help you. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Listen, some of us are so sleepy because of the addictions. We're spiritually sleepy. We're physically sleepy. We're depressive sleepy. And it has roots in addiction. It's time to wake up. Wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We, when we first believed, we were saved. But now that we're a little further, it's nearer. This is an encouragement. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So, so the, the idea is redemption is, is pictured as a sunrise. And the sun is just on the crest of the hill. And it's starting to turn the sky pink and purple and orange. The darkness is dissipating. So then, so then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. It's Jesus. We'll get there in a couple months. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. Do I need to tell you what that means? Okay. <laughs> and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality. Okay, that that word right there, pornea, sexual immorality, that is the broadest umbrella for sexual misconduct outside of marriage that we have. It's a drunk jaw term for anything outside of marriage. Anything. It's of the darkness. It's not of the light. Whether you're clicking on it or you're thinking about it, or you're looking at it physically, or you're doing it with your body. Outside of marriage, it's pornea, It's sexual immorality. It's not for Christians, friend. It's not. Those are the works of darkness and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. These are all works of darkness. They're destructive. They cause death. But, and this was Augustine's verse, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is one of the most helpful, practical things Paul could have said. Listen, if you never, ever buy cigarettes and no one ever gives you one, guess who can't smoke a cigarette? You. But if you go and you buy some and you're addicted to cigarettes, you've just made provisions for the flesh. Like, if you're the person that if you show up at the party, you know you're going to drink, but you're like, I can do it. I'm strong enough. You show up, guess what you just did? You made provision for the flesh. Listen, friends, this is going to hurt. If you can't stop clicking and watching, and you got computers or phones where other people can't see them, you are making provision for the flesh. You are. You're setting yourself up for failure. No one's doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. And so what we can do instead is we can step into the light and expose the deeds of darkness to one another so that there's accountability and so that we can embrace the shame but then be told by whoever we're telling it to that, hey, in Christ there is no shame. He has borne our shame on the cross. He has publicly exposed himself, naked, bloody, dying in your place. You have no more shame to bear. You can be pulled out of shame into shamelessness. It's the beauty of the cross. It's one aspect of redemption. But friends, it was Sinclair Ferguson who said, one of the first steps to getting free from sin is confessing it. It's the first step. If you don't confess it, it's hidden in you and in your practice and no one knows but you and you got this dark secret. Tell somebody who loves you and who knows the gospel and lives it. Tell somebody. He said, you've heard of name it and claim it. I want to start a movement called name it and slay it. Name it and slay it. Sinclair Ferguson. All right. There's more verses, but we don't have time. What I want to do is just pray for us and, and, and say, friends, please, you've got a lot of practical help tonight. What we need to do is, number one, remember we are worshiping beings. We can't help it. We must pray that God enables us to direct our worship towards him, not just the singing, the thoughts, the words, the deeds, the actions, the motives. God, help us to worship. Number two, please remember you have the Holy Spirit who enables you to say no to ungodliness and to addictions and to functional saviors. And then, thirdly, man, this is so practical don't make provisions for the flesh. Don't make that call, erase the number. Don't block the websites. Put some kind of accountability software on your computer. Ask somebody who you know and love that will ask you hard things. I need you to ask me every time you see me if I'm doing X, Y, Z. Do it. These are all gifts of grace. It's not legalism. It's help. And how can we do this? We do this because we're already saved. Friends, we're already saved in Christ. We're not doing this to be saved. We are saved. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Now let's walk in the freedom. It's already ours. Listen, if you're in a cell of addiction, you need to know the door is unlocked. It's wide open. You're free to walk out. You're free to walk out. Christ has opened the door. He has unlocked it with his own blood. The cage is open. You're free to go. It's a beautiful, good news story. Let's celebrate communion together. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us, worshiping in our place, taking our place on the cross, suffering and dying for our lack of worshiping God and worshiping idols instead. Let's remember that in Christ we are free. Now let's walk in it.